Hey, welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. Come on, let's really thank Anita. That was amazing. How good is Anita? Was that great? Wow. She's had some very good leadership training, that girl. Just kidding. Hey, we need to, we need to keep encouraging our, um, our kids, don't we? I don't, know about, I don't know about you, but as I look around the world, you know, the, the challenges that we see right now are going to be handled by them, not us. Because it's, you know, you know when you see, you see things in, in advance, you know, we need to prepare them to have the courage have the insights and have the spiritual maturity to stand when they need to stand. So let's just keep encouraging those guys, keep encouraging Anita and her team. You know, in the, in the uh, 80s and 90s, there was this uh, artwork. Can you, anyone remember who was, who was alive back then? Uh, those, that type of art where there was, there was a piece of art, but hidden in the art, there was another piece of art. Can you remember those? They were kind of everyone had one in their house for a while and you'd, and you'd stand there and gaze at it. There's one up on the screen now. And, uh, and you'd gaze at it for a while and, you know, and, and hidden in plain sight was a whole other work of art. And can you see what that one is? I think it's a, maybe a mother and a child lying on their side, half in the water. It's very difficult to see sometimes. Can everyone see it? You see, while you're focused on the things that are visible, the detail that is visible in front of you, you cannot see what's hidden in plain sight. While you're focused on the, 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 the detail that's in front of you, you cannot see what's hidden in plain sight. And, you know, this morning I want to... I, I wanna, uh, talk to you about the clarity of mystery. Because the Bible, you know, I, I love the way the Bible keeps talking about the mystery of uh, Christ. And, you know, Jesus is a mystery hidden in plain sight. You know, he, he communicated through parables that half the people didn't understand and then he explained them to the disciples. And, you know, and he reveals things to us that are hidden in plain He tells this amazing story, but the truth of it is hidden in plain sight. But he reveals it to us by his spirit through things like revelation. We see in Ephesians 3, 4, but by, it says, by, the revela- by revelation, he has made known the mystery of Christ. And at some point in our lives, we got the revelation. We got the revelation that God is. We got the revelation that God is. What is he? He is many things, but we, you know, we, we, he is, he is all encompassing. He is everywhere. He's in all of all through all. He is, he is. And then when we got that revelation that God is, that's at that point that we began to believe. So at that point now we call ourselves believers. Why? Because what, what differentiates this bunch of people from the other people in the planet? It's simply what we believe. We believe it. We can't necessarily prove God. I cannot prove to you scientifically that God exists. But I believe He exists. In fact, I've based my whole life around a belief that I cannot scientifically prove to you. 
I don't know about you, but I want to know stuff. I want to know how it works. If we're going to do something, we're going to know how, it, how it's going to happen. You know, when, when, you know, when Anita gets up here and goes, I want to know, I said this morning, tell me with 10 second increments exactly what you're going to say this morning. I want to know. I want to know in advance. I do not like surprises. And God says, hey, young man who doesn't like surprises, how about this surprise? I am a mystery that you will never fully understand, yet you need to believe in me, follow me, and give me every aspect of your life. This morning, I want to discuss something that's just four words. I believe in God. I believe in God. Romans 10, 9 to 10, we, can, we, you know, we, we quote this scripture many, many times because it's, the, it's one of the foundations of our salvation. It's the, it's the beginning point of our relationship with God. And it says this, it says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Isn't it amazing? We, you know, we as a church, we as a, the body of Christ all over the world, we are known for what we believe. Everyone seems to know what we believe. We believe that there is a God. We believe that he sent his son to earth so that he could, he could be born as a baby, grow up, and, and then be, be, be sacrificed on the cross, and then after three days, raise again and, get, and, and, get, and ascend into heaven. 40 days and 40 nights later. And he would leave his Holy Spirit. And as we believe and confess that we will be saved and we will now be called his children, we'll be adopted into his house. This is what we believe. The majority of the world knows about it. You just need to go and go to a comedy club and listen to people. Even the comedians, they, you know, they, they ingest, they know the story as good as anyone else. What we believe is not up for debate. We believe it. We believe in God. But sometimes what we believe doesn't permeate our actions. It doesn't permeate our hearts. It doesn't permeate our way of life. And when what we believe, what we say that we believe, notice how the Bible says, you know, we need to, we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart. You know, sometimes what we believe in our heart is not our number one belief. And if it's not our number one belief, let me tell you, it's more of an interest than a belief. God wants you to believe so that, you know, what you believe forces you to live a new way. I don't know about you, but I can confess something and say I believe it, but when push comes to shove, I, my way of life points in a whole other direction. There's people around the world now that say that we are in an age of unbelief. No one believes anything anymore. I beg to differ, really. I think that um, everybody believes in something. We all believe in something. We may not believe in God, but we believe in something. And, you know, some believe that um, life is self-determined. I'm a self-made man. Some believe that God is a puppeteer. Like, you know, Anita was talking, he's in heaven pop, popping the, um, the lightning bolt through the clouds. Some believe in all sorts of things. We believe in self, we believe in God. But whatever we believe at the deepest center of our being determines what we ourselves become. You see, we can say what we believe. If we can confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is Savior. But unless we truly believe it in our heart, how do you know if you believe something in, our, in your heart? You know you believe it in your heart when it pushes you to act a different way. 
It forces you to, to do things that you wouldn't usually do because you believe it in your heart. You cannot prove it, but you know it. You know when you know the right thing to do and you do it even though it, 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 you cannot explain it, but you know it in your heart. You know, Jesus says, he says, bless those who curse you. You know, you, you, you know the situation doesn't call for a blessing, but you know it, you believe it to be true, so you do it anyway. You believe it in your heart, so you bless someone who has just cursed you. I want to suggest to you this morning that things like depression and anxiety and, and, and the challenges that we, that we walk in in life, they feed off belief anchored anywhere but God. When our belief is anchored anywhere but God, it's up for grabs, isn't it? If my belief is in finances, it's up for grabs. We can, we can have, you know, isn't it interesting that a dip in, in, a serious dip in finances around the world is called a what? It's called a depression. See, God wants, you know, God wants us to be anchored to Him because when our belief is anchored to Him as number one, then the ups and downs and the circumstances around our life do not cause us to go into the same depression that the world just went into. See, belief's not contrary to the facts. It's not contrary to the facts. It simply transcends facts. See, the things around you can be dipping. You ever been walking down the road with your child and your child, you know, our little girl Arabella, she's turning two in three weeks' time. And you know what comes at number two? The two-year-old tantrums. And Arabella is well ahead of her age <laughs> in many ways. And that's one of them. You know, we were walking down a road the other day and off she goes. And here we are, right? Here we are with this one minute earlier, people are just saying, your daughter is so beautiful, what a wonderful child. And then she turns. <laughs> Mr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You know the story. And this is how we roll, isn't it? We, we're cruising along, we've got the most amazing child, you know. And, and then all of a sudden, circumstances change and I become anxious. I become anxious because I'm worried about what everyone around me is thinking. Why? Because I believe that people are saying, he's a bad father. And they're all saying that poor father. You know, I'm just glad it's him and not my child for once. You know, you might be the most beautiful, beautiful person. You might be the most handsome person in church. You might be Jamie. You know, but Jamie wakes up one morning and he's got the massive pimple right on the middle of his forehead. And every day he goes out and people are just in awe of his magnificence. Yet today... He's not holding his head high anymore, is he? He puts a cap on, pulls the visor right down and lives as low as he can. You know, he's dropping on the clearasil. He's trying to deal with it because circumstances have changed and it's caused him to depress. It's caused him to step into a depression. Why? Because what we believe as number one is not always God. I like to think that God is number one in my life, but let me tell you, Life has proven otherwise many a time. And I want to suggest to you this morning the same has happened for you because when we dip into depression, when we dip into anxiety, when, you know, when we get caught in, in areas where we, are, where we feel shame and guilt and unbelief and all those things, it's because God is no longer the number one belief in our heart and He is not influencing our actions more than the circumstances of life. Belief is not contrary to the facts. It transcends them. God wants us to be a people, you know, who, who know truth 
Not so much in our minds, but in our hearts. This is the problem, is that we want to prove that God exists. We want to prove, you know, we want, we want to have a mental understanding of what we know in our hearts. And that seems to be the journey of life. You know, we get the revelation of God. He gives us this revelation of who he is and, who he is, and then we spend the rest of our life trying to prove what we know in our hearts to be true. We all believe in things though, don't we? To believe something is to know its truth, not so much in our minds, but in our hearts. How do I know this? Because we believe in so many things. I don't know about you, but I believe in goodness. No matter how much evil, how, much, you know, how, many, how many challenges, how many attacks, how, many, how much terrorism, how much thievery, how much abuse, domestic violence, all these, how much evil we see around the world, I still believe in goodness because it is where humanity finds its aspirations. In the midst of all those things, people do great things. In the midst of tough economies, people do great things. In the midst of, you know, out of, out of the most broken of all families, people still seek the goodness of family. You can grow up in the most brokenness of family and, and draw a line in the sand and say, as for me and my household, we're going to have a healthy, good, God-centered family, even though all that I've experienced is evil. We believe in things, don't we? We don't know why. So we can't prove that goodness exists, but we believe in it. We believe in love rather than hate. Why? Because love always draws the best out in us. When people say they hate you, you know, and we don't hear that word hate very often, except from our teenagers, I'm sure. That's probably an example. But the, the, when people do not like us, when people struggle with us, it doesn't bring out the best in us. But when people declare their love for us, it's like a platform of inspiration. We believe in love. And no matter how much hate we see around the place, no matter how much hate and anger we, we receive ourselves, we still believe in love because a glimpse, a, a, an increment of love is enough to prop us up above all of the challenges in life. We believe in the spiritual. Why do we believe? How do I know we believe in the spiritual? Because every one of us knows that the material life is just simply not enough to explain the depth of what we contemplate and feel. There's things in you that you contemplate and that you feel that the physical realm cannot explain. You may, you know, you. You, you may get. You may. We live in a society that doesn't believe in the creation of of a, of of God. Yet nothing else, nothing natural, nothing you know, n- nothing that is that is has has evolved can explain the things that we feel and the things that we contemplate. They're too deep for the physical life to under, to understand. So we believe in the spiritual. See belief is the ability to see and to know what we cannot see in the natural. We see it in the, spiritual, in the spiritual, but we cannot see it in the natural. That's why Paul prays that great prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 where he says, Lord, open the eyes of their understanding. Why do we need our, understanding of our, our eyes of understanding open? Because our natural eyes cannot see what God is trying to show us, what he's trying to explain to us. So here we are. It seems like we're going to become a bunch of irrational people because we cannot explain anything that we believe. Belief's not an excuse to be irrational. 
At least not an excuse to, to get caught up in, in, in living outside of the realm of reality. Without belief in something greater than ourselves, life shrinks to the size of my own perceptions. You see, we're not, we're, it's, not that we, it's not that we're trying to be irrational, it's that our thinking is a level higher than what we're experiencing. We all experience trouble. We, always ex- we all experience the, the ups and downs of, of relationship and finance and the, and, the, and the physicalities of life. We experience the ups and downs of those things. And, and God's saying, hey, think of something higher because those things are going to ebb and flow. The Apostle Paul says, you know, we need to be learn how to be content with much and content with little. Because sometimes you're going to have much, sometimes you're going to have little. Sometimes your relationships are going to be rich and full of life and you're going to have great conversations. And sometimes those same relationships are going to be hard and the conversation is going to be difficult. But he's called you to remain in them because there's something greater driving you. There's a belief that's greater that is driving you. Without a belief in something greater than ourselves, life shrinks to the size of our own perception. I don't know about you, but some days I wake up and what I'm perceiving, I don't want that to limit my day. You ever wake up and you go, man, today's a day that the covers need to remain on. The blinds need to remain shut and I just need to stay here and just let this day disappear. Maybe we'll wake up a bit better tomorrow. I don't want those days to, to limit me because, you know, we... we we have, a, we have perceptions of things that are around us. We have situations that can dominate our thoughts. So we need to have something going on in our heart that is more powerful than our thoughts because our thoughts can betray us. That's why the Bible says, take every thought captive. What do we take it captive to? We take every thought captive to what we believe in our hearts. It's tough. You know, we live in a, a, in, an informed age. We love the information. We... we, we we want to know how, we want to know why, we want to know the, the strategy to get healed, saved, delivered, set free. We want to know all those things. And God is saying, hey, believe, believe in God. I don't know about you, but I have some very small thinking from time to time. You know where my thinking gets small? My thinking gets small when I'm hurt, when I'm offended when there's unforgiveness in my life, when I need to repent, when, I, when I've got no money in the bank, when I have a bad hair day. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be anything. It can be as superficial or as grand as you like the challenge that you're walking through, but it makes my thinking small. And when I don't want to live at, and become a prisoner of my small thinking. Small thinking can rob you of God's greatness in your life. You know, we talked about Gideon a few weeks ago. You know, Gideon had small thinking. He was from the small, he was the smallest guy in the smallest tribe. And and God says, mighty man of valor. He was saying, get out of your small thinking and join with the great God. See, we need to wake up every morning. We don't need to, to to do these extravagant things. We need to wake up in the morning and say, I believe in God. And allow that to influence your day instead of your day influence what you believe. You know, we sang the... I, I want to read the Apostles' Creed to you this morning because it's, you know, I love, I love this creed. You know, but, you know before the scriptures were, dist, you know, were, were available to people, the, the, um, the early believers, you know, they memorized these creeds because what they believed, they wanted to be anchored to their lives. In, you know, and the, the Apostles' Creed is great. It says this, it says, I believe in God. 
the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. Wow. Can I prove that Jesus descended into hell? No. Can I prove that he ascended into heaven? I cannot prove it to you. I don't, I cannot, you know, I, I, I don't have the explanation and I don't know anyone on this planet who does. But do I believe it? Yes, I do. I, do I know it? Yes, I do. Where do I know it? I know it in here. And I'm spending, I've spent the last 25 years trying to get it into here. He says, you know, we need to renew the spirit of our mind. We need to take what we believe and know in our heart and renew the spirit of our mind because our mind gets caught in small thinking and we need our mind to be dominated by our heart's belief, not the other way around. So today we're just discussing four words. You know, the creed is full of, of, amazing, of, 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 of amazing picture of what we believe as believers in the living God. But we just need to start. We can get caught in the detail, but God wants us to understand the core of it is that we need to believe in God. He's the foundation. He is the beginning. In What are the first words of the Bible? In the beginning, God. Now, it says a whole lot of other stuff after that, doesn't it? But it, what, is the, what do we need? In the, what, is, what about in the morning when you, when you wake up? In the beginning, as I wake up, Man, wouldn't it be nice to just prove God's existence? Wouldn't it be nice if he just showed up in the flesh? Wouldn't it be nice if he just turned up and then whatever we declared was nice, you know, everyone goes, oh, yeah, of course, you know, there he is. But who knows? It's once, once it's in front of you, it's no longer a belief, it's actually a fact. You no longer, I, no, I no longer need to believe, you know, in some things because they're right there. It's no longer a belief. It's actually there in front of me. It's tangible. I can touch it. But God's saying, you need to believe because if I turned up, it's, you know, it's, it, that's not my plan. My plan is that you give me your heart and you allow your heart to influence the rest of your world. I believe in God. God who is not containable, yet is contained in everything. The Bible says, Behold, the heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple, King Solomon said. Then in Ephesians it says, Our God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So God cannot be contained. It is contained in everything. The problem is that intellect is challenged when proof is unattainable. I don't know about you, but when I talk, you know, when I talk to to my peer group in, who are outside of the church world in the my, in the community groups that I'm involved in, can you just give me five more minutes, Morgs? Jeez, you can stay there. You're cool. Let's give Morgan a hand. How good is she? She's awesome. Especially, you know, now she's she's joining me in the message. You know, when when I when I declare my belief to people around the place. 
I think it's like they're saying, I'm, you know, he's just guided. It's, it's like the stars. He believes in the, he's, he's guided by the stars. You know, it's just another, it's, people don't understand that you're following a God they cannot see. People don't understand that. They understand facts and figures and science and proof. We love proof. Proof is fantastic. We go to a court of law and we, we are proven innocent or guilty. We need to go to, you know, we go to university so we can discover scientifically what is truth. See, people, you know, I'm convinced. I'm convinced beyond my intellect that God is. The mind boggles. The mind boggles. But the spirit soars. Where the mind boggles, the spirit soars. As the two ladies attest. The things, you know, I like to call it Uncertain certainty. I'm uncertain scientifically, but I'm certain in my heart the reality of God. Not to believe in God is to, is to not, not to believe, it's to believe in self. If we don't believe in God, we believe in self. You know, without a God, who's God? You are. I am. If God is not God, then I am God. I become the God of my own world. No longer do I worship him, I worship self. How do I worship self? Well, I do it by worshipping things like money. I do it by worshipping relationships. I do it by worshipping power, prestige. I do it by worshipping approval. I do it by, by, by making my body something beautiful that is worthy to be, to be praised. I look at things that, you know, I look at things outside of the spiritual and I get caught thinking that I am God. But here's the thing, I do believe in. And I'm so thankful that I do because outside of him, those other things, they ebb and flow too much. You know, when, you know, we, I, I love what Jesus did when he, when he, he, he came, he, he went into the temple and, and he quoted the Isaiah scripture. He says, I've been anointed to what? To preach the gospel to the poor. He didn't get, he didn't get anointed to teach, to, to give money to the poor, to give food to the poor. He came to preach the gospel to the poor. Why is that? Nothing injects human life like God does. Nothing else imparts dignity like the presence of God in their lives. Nothing makes us see, see more than we appear than the presence of God in our lives. You see, your belief is the beginning of your hope. Sometimes we decide who God is based on what we need or what we want. Sometimes we believe in a God of wrath so therefore, we give ourselves permission to be wrathful against people. You know, we've seen over the years, you know, the church has handled social issues around the world very badly because we've assumed that God is a God of wrath. You know, so we give ourselves permission to be people of, this, of wrath ourselves. You know, we, sometimes we believe that God is the God of the car park. You know, we, Lord, give me a car park today. And the Lord, you know, he blesses you with car park, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't answer the prayers of, of the whole of poor nations who are starving, but he gives you a car park. Some of us believe in a God of laws and we tend to end up demanding of others what we cannot even live out ourselves. How do I know this? Because I've known all of these gods. I've known all of these, these ways of God. I've experienced them all and yet none of them are who I believe God is for us. They've all failed me. I've used God to get through my life and I've missed the steps 
to change life myself. I spent so long praying that God would solve me instead of allowing God to do life with me and become who he's called me to become, to stretch and to grow and to believe that he is doing a work in my life. And as I walk through the challenges, as I step and take and step in courageously into these situations that he's called me to, he does work. But see, we're all created in the image of God, but it's who we imagine God to be that impacts us more. Until I seek God for who he is and not what I need, I will always struggle to understand myself in any real way. I don't know about you, but I've spent a lot of my life seeking God for what I need, but not for who he is. And I tend, we tend to meet God in need, but he's saying, church, it's time to go to another level. It's time to seek me for who I am, not for who you need me to be right now. To say I believe in God, it determines the rest of our entire life. To say I believe in God means that I commit myself to make God a presence in the center of my heart. On the most mundane of all days, he is still my number one belief. In the dregs of my struggles, he's number one. In the highs of my successes, he's still number one in my heart. The great Gerard Manley Hopkins, a poet, he says this. He says, when we seek God fully, we begin to see him everywhere. We feel divinity everywhere. We recognize God everywhere. And eventually we become what we think about. He says this, the world becomes charged with the grandeur of God. I don't know about you, but I love seeing God everywhere. I love, I love, you know, I love seeing the magnificence and the force and the beauty and the power and the love and the extravagance and God meeting us in the, in the lowest points and at the highest points. You know, I love the grandeur of God evident in everywhere we look. Sometimes we cannot see it. Why can't we see it? Because he is not number one in our belief in that area right now. So we need to surrender to him afresh. So we come and we gather with the believers around us and we worship and we say, Lord, show us your magnificence. Show us your glory. Show us another aspect of your of your love and of your substance so that when I go outside I can see the grandeur of you everywhere I look we love the interventions from God we want him to make the world like we want it instead of us becoming the people that he's calling us to be I want to encourage you this morning that the state of the world is the state of the church. The state of the world is the state of the church. He's called the church to grow, to rise up, to be a faithful presence in our community. He's called you to take steps of courage. He's called us to, to begin to see, uh, look around the world and to see his grandeur and to speak life and to speak encouragement and to speak hope and to be a presence of faithfulness. So when people are looking, they see the light. The Bible says the light is not meant to live under a shade. It is meant to be open so it can be seen. And he's calling you to be seen. He's calling your beliefs and he's calling your declarations not only to be something that happens here on a Sunday, but to be present in everywhere of your life. He's, some people are going to think you're crazy. Some people are going to think you're insane. But the right people at the right time are going to see the goodness of God and they're going to call upon his name and they are going to be free. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I want someone else to do something rather than 
face becoming the person I need to become. But here's the thing, life, if we allow it, in partnership with God, grooms us to the point of godliness. Life, if you will give it to God, will groom you to godliness. And people will see it in you and they will seek him because of it. Jesus is a mystery hidden in plain sight. And as we, as we gaze upon him as in a mirror, as we stand and we look at that painting like we saw this morning, as we, as we look upon him, as we gaze upon him, the revelation comes to our hearts and it begins to renew our minds. We take our thoughts captive and we begin to surrender our thoughts to our beliefs and we begin to be people of hope instead of people who are caught in the circumstances of this day. Why don't you stand with me this morning? You see, we can shut out the mysterious and look for the obvious, or we can shut out reality and hide as a bunch of believers. But God's saying, no, there's more. He's saying, there's, we, we, we can get caught in knowing too much and perceiving too little. God wants the eyes of your understanding to be open. He doesn't want us to be one-dimensional. He doesn't want us to know the facts and be deficient in the clarity of the mystery of Christ. There's a clarity in the mystery. And we can only receive the clarity as we gaze upon him, as we worship him, not just here and singing, not just, not just in our small group, but in every area of our life. How in your business, in your family, in your sport, in your every aspect, in your entertainment, how are you gazing upon the Lord as in a mirror? And how is it bringing revelation to your life? I believe in God. Our job is not to absolutize the Bible. Our job is not to unpack and explain and, 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 and tell everyone every increment of this word. Our goal, our goal, our job, is to go and be the sons and the daughters of the King and be faithfully present in the world on His behalf and live a life of worship and praise and continue to believe. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, I just thank you for a, I thank you for a magnificence that we don't understand. I thank you for a beauty that is beyond our ability to know. Lord, I thank you for, for the work that you've done in our lives that we're not even aware of. I thank you for the substance of you that is liberating us and we don't even know it. I thank you, Father, Lord, that you have brought us life, that you have brought us hope, Lord, and we surrender our insecurities. We surrender our depression. We surrender our thoughts. We surrender our unbelief to you, Lord, and we declare this morning to ourselves and before you and before each other that we believe in you. We give you thanks and we give you praise and we want to continue a life of surrender and a life of hope, Lord, and we want to be faithfully present. So we ask that you would charge us with courage, Lord, that you would charge us with fresh hope, Lord, and that you would stir up our hearts, stir up our hearts of belief in you, Father. There is so much to learn and so much to know and skills to, to discover and to stretch, Father, but we want to begin on the foundation that you are. And we surrender to you this morning in the mighty name of Jesus, the church said together. Amen.